if I'm running, something's probably chasing me. But there are runners out there, I have been told, and there's something called the runner's high. And forever, we were just told that that was endorphins, right? You feel good at mile seven somehow because of endorphins. And it actually turns out that half of that blissful feeling is anandamide. So it's an endocannabinoid. It's not all endorphins. And so being able to support your endocannabinoid system um, and not even realizing you were by running, um, I think has been super. Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Hello, I'm glad that we got hooked up. Technology is awesome, but I'm excited for to have you today, uh, Marielle, and I'm excited to explain what you guys are working on and see your background. Um, uh, before I spoil it or before we go into this, I want to remind everybody when you do log in, please let us know, say hello. We'd love to uh, give you a shout out. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to drop in. Oh, it looks like somebody does say it. Hello, we are live. <laughs> um, and Cody, hi, it's good to see you traveling from Vegas. Um, but join us, let us know that you're here, say hello, um, drop any questions. I'm really excited about the conversation and potential collaboration, but more importantly, to share what you guys have going on. Um, so Marielle, will you let me know a little bit or share what's your background? How'd you get into this? What are you working on? Uh, absolutely. So I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for the invitation. Um, so I'm Marielle Weintraub. I'm president of the U.S. Hemp Authority. Um, but I will start, I think, quickly with a short story about how I ended up in this industry, because I think everyone always has some interesting, quirky way that they ended up in the hemp industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I was working at the time for a large lab called Covance um, that was out of Madison, Wisconsin. It's now part of the Eurofins Laboratories. Um, and I was at an event in Boulder, a dietary supplement event, and someone came up to me and said, will you guys test CBD? Um, I have a PhD in neuroscience. I spent a very long time in school and I look at this guy and I was like, what's CBD? Uh, and this was in 20, very beginning of 2016. Uh, he goes, give me 20 minutes after the show's over. And if you are not super interested, I will go find another lab. And I'm like, okay, great. So we ended up meeting up. He told me about it. Um, I immediately called my dad because my dad's a physician. And I said, have you heard of this? Now, mind you, we live in Texas. We were way behind the eight ball when it came to CBD. Um, and he goes, I'm not really sure what it is or if it works, but I do know that I have patients leaving Texas and moving to Colorado because of it. And that's what really piqued my interest. I started to do some research and then I found myself fascinated with all the possible benefits that CBD and really hemp could have on our lives and integrated in our lives. Um, and so it took about six months and about six layers of lawyers at Covance, but we were one of the first large global company or global labs to start testing hemp um, and actually created the, what is now the AOAC first action method for testing potency and cannabinoids. 
So it turned out that that person I met, um, he's not super connected in the hemp industry anymore, but it was Graham Carlson and he was one of the original CFOs of Charlotte's Web. Awesome. Um, so that's where <laughs> all this started. So honestly, it was an accident, yeah. uh, but it was a very happy accident. Mm -hmm. So, Okay, um, so what's it like since then? Since then, um, so I ended up working for Covance for a while, turned into Eurofins. We continued to build the hemp industry testing through Eurofins. And then I decided to get out of the lab scene and actually went to go work for um, originally um, one of the hemp companies that didn't make it, that were making isolate um, when the crash occurred. And then I left that and ended up in the current role I am in, um, which is uh, I am the head of scientific research and development for Zelis. Um, so I'm still in the hemp industry. The reason I have a day job is because the U.S. Hemp Authority uh, is all volunteer. So we don't get paid <laughs> when we volunteer with the U.S. Hemp Authority. Um, so it is a labor of love. Um, and the whole idea behind that was to find a way to make sure that the hemp industry could survive and thrive. Uh, we wanted to make sure that way, this was back in 2017, 2016, 2017, that no one had what we refer to as a 60 minutes moment um, and brought down the entire hemp industry. And by hemp at this point, I'm talking about extracts at that moment yeah. <laughs> and brought down the entire hemp industry um, because they weren't following manufacturing processes, good ones, that they weren't following SOPs, that they weren't testing, they weren't testing hemp for what makes it risky. Um, and that's when the idea of the hemp authority uh, the U.S. Hemp Authority came to light was to create standards for the hemp industry that were written by people in the hemp industry. Okay, so I want to back up for a couple of things. Just oh, yeah. you, said, you said they're not testing for things that make hemp risky. For those that are listening that may not understand, what are those things to be aware of? And and as a consumer, right, what do those consumers need to know? And because this really speaks to what you guys are doing at the U.S. Hemp Authority. Right. So. The wonderful thing about hemp is it is a phytoremediator. What makes hemp very scary when you're trying to turn it into finished products that are going to be ingested is that hemp is a phytoremediator. So the idea there is you want to make sure that if I plant hemp and I plant it in an area that is high in heavy metals yeah. or in uh, an area that for some reason was high in pesticides and those pesticides are still in the ground, hemp is going to clean the earth for us. However, if I then harvest that plant and extract cannabinoids to, let's say, make a tincture, the heavy metals, the pesticides, all that is coming with it and will end up in your finished product if it's not um, correctly processed. So the idea there is we wanted to make sure that people recognize how wonderful hemp is as a phytoremediator, but how that can cause problems on the backside. We also wanted to make sure farmers recognize this. Because if farmers want to sell their harvest to people that are creating products that are going to be ingested, they're going to need to know what was in the ground and what could possibly be in their biomass. And therefore, yeah, where the product's sold into or what product it's used for, right? It's it, the end product of what you're doing with it matters when you're selling it to someone. So if it's grown in an area that might be high in heavy metals, but you're making a fiber to create t-shirts, that's not as big of a deal than if you're trying to create a product where you end up with a, a tincture or cannabinoid-based product that's gonna be ingested. Yeah, concentrate with high yeah, metals or pesticides or any of it. Right. Okay, so 
Now I want to go back to when you were testing, when you first started testing CBD or heard of it, right? You kind of had your aha moment for your dad to say that patients were leaving Texas to move to Colorado, but on the science side and understanding that that's your background, like what did you find initially to say, guys, this is it. And we've got to dive in and I'm going to invest now my entire career to advancing and protecting the industry. Like what science are you really, yeah. What, what have you found? Well, so I was trying to figure out, so all I did for eight years was study the brain, right? I know a lot about a really little tiny area of the brain. Um, and so I Which is a lot. Just, right, it's a lot, but it's also like, like this much of your body, right? So I started to research CBD and then I found cannabinoid receptors. And then based on cannabinoid receptors, I found the endocannabinoid system. And then I got angry because I have no idea why I wasn't taught this in grad school. It didn't make any sense. And then as more and more research, I started looking up and I went back and back and back. And I ended up in the 1940s, 50s and 60s, finding information about cannabinoids, about THC, about CBD, about the various receptors. And then eventually in the 80s, you find um, the discussion of the endocannabinoid system. And basically, it's like this primary system that is interwoven into all your other systems and yet never gets spoken about in yeah. grad school, never gets talked about in medical school, yeah. and really could support these underlying issues that people have without recognizing it. So it's like if something's wrong with your heart, people immediately go to the cardiovascular system. But what if it's lower than that? Yeah. Right? What if it's under that? Yeah. So. Okay. So what have you found? What Talk to me. I, as we just talked about before we went live, right? The majority of our conversation has been focused around fiber. And so I'm asking, I know more, most of the conversation in the industry has been focused on the CBD and the science behind the medicine, right? Right. Yeah. So just what are the top few things that you're really, that are really excite you? Sure. I can totally geek out on you. So if I get too close, I'm going to Okay, so understanding that the endocannabinoid system is made up, it's a like a, a very large network in your body mm-hmm. of receptors, a large network of um, actual cannabinoids. So you have phytocannabinoids from the plant. But interestingly, when it comes to the way that they connect to our own receptors that already exist, they are almost identical to um, endocannabinoids. So cannabinoids we make within ourselves. So there is a plant out there that was somehow designed to work properly with receptors that we have available in our body Mm -hmm. um, and that most of us are deficient uh, (laughs) because of prohibition. Um, And then we also have things like I think what was so interesting, one of the first things I learned is I am not a runner. Um, If I'm running, something's probably chasing me. But there are runners out there, I have been told, and there's something called the runner's high. And forever, we were just told that that was endorphins, right? You feel good at mile seven somehow because of endorphins. And it actually turns out that half of that blissful feeling is anandamide. So it's an endocannabinoid. It's not all endorphins. And so being able to support your endocannabinoid system um, and not even realizing you were by running, um, I think has been super fascinating. And so it's just the entire way that the network of receptors and compounds and also enzymes works in our system to really reach that the concept of homeostasis um, of inner balance and then past that i think my next obsession is the entourage effect so (laughs) which is when 
you actually want to keep the plant as whole as possible. Um, I guess that normally people hear it as the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And what was found in science is that if you keep these compounds together, what were once thought of as inert or non-active compounds will become active when they are in this group. Um, so I found that fascinating that if you leave nature alone, it actually works uh, more efficiently than if you try to, let's say, isolate it. So that's see, this is the stuff excites me. I hadn't heard about the uh, runner's high and that's pretty exciting. Very, very cool. And of course, the whole time you're talking, I'm like, I've got a whole group of people that I'm going to send this to. She <laughs> was like, look at, the, look at the geeking out that happened on the show today. <laughs> well, and I, I would really like to start presenting and sharing some technical talk, right? And, and get into the geeky subjects. And you know, there's a couple of people that I'd love to have on, a couple of you that have done a great job within the industry and are really leading with positive impact to be able to come up and geek out because they, you guys can carry conversation about it so much better than I can because I just don't know some of it. So, okay. So talk to me about the regulatory piece um, within the industry, right? We've talked a little bit about understanding why it might be some of the risk, but like, what do we need to do about it? And it's, you know, I'm going to preface this with, it's still amazing to me, the lack of understanding in that risk and why that risk is still there right? With the lack of regulation around the labs or um, what needs to be on the label or what can and can't be sold and where it's grown and so forth. So can you speak to you know, what we're going to do and some of the solutions? Sure. So we have to kind of look at this almost in, in layers because we have to worry about regulation as it comes to the plant. That one's pretty understood because we have the farm bill, um, which you're either under a, a certain point or you're not. So you're either under that 0.3% of total THC, the total mm -hmm. THC wasn't defined so well, um, or you're not. And then past that, so you want to be able to use reliable testing, mm -hmm. but because there wasn't this huge need to, for this test, um, standardized testing hadn't been created yet. So basically that means if you send your your sample to one lab, you could get a totally different answer than if you send it to another lab. So I'm a part of AOAC CASP. AOAC is probably one of the most well-known um, standard writing groups, but specifically for uh, methodologies, for scientific methodologies. Um, so it was a chemical, a, like a chemistry group. Um, and they have the, can, uh, can, what, they call it CASP. So Cannabis Analytical Science Program, I believe is what CASP stands for. Uh, and what we do as a group and those of us on the expert review panels is we ask different labs to send in their methodologies and they ask us to pick the ones that appear to be meeting our specific set of standards and then that is published. And basically the labs give up their ownership of that method, but it also comes with a lot of... Um, press and impressive and credibility spaces. Yeah. But what that allows the other labs to do is to use those methods. Yeah. And so you start to standardize yeah. testing. Now then, so we're standardized testing, but we still don't have the ability for the lab to call in order when this is what gets confusing because it's the same word as a standard, which is what you need to compare your sample to. So there isn't a standard that you can order yet um, that they know will be perfect in order to compare 
what they're testing. So right now, if you order, if you test ginseng, you can order your ginseng test or your ginseng standard. And you can tell if what you're testing is identical to what should be ginseng. Um, so there is another government organization that is outside of justice. Um, they're actually part of commerce called NIST, uh, N-I-S-T. And they are working to develop standards for the lab, which would make the labs that much stronger. So okay. the U.S. Hemp Authority is working alongside NIST in order to try to get more samples and more samples and follow the line of from the farmer to a product um, so that we can build sta better standards for the lab so the lab can do better testing for us. Um, past that, we then have to look at both state and federal regulations. So although when it comes to things like food, dietary supplements, and cosmetics, although FDA has not officially given the green light for cannabinoid-based products, um, what the Hemp Authority has tried to do is get the companies that are creating products to look at themselves as if they were already being um, monitored by the FDA. Yeah. And to do that, we want to follow the rules that FDA has already set aside for dietary supplements, food and cosmetics. All of those can be found in the Code of Federal Regulations. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that people knew about them. We wanted to educate about them, show people where to find them, but then also teach about what makes hemp different and what you have to do in addition to following those rules in order to assure you have a safe finished product for consumers. Okay. Can you speak to some of those? Uh, sure. So the ones for FDA, or if, you, if you're having trouble falling asleep, go to CFR 111 or 117. Um, 111 is for dietary supplements. 117 is for food. And they tell you what you can and cannot do when you are manufacturing. Um, they tell you you need to test for what makes your product risky. They don't necessarily tell you what you have to test for or how you test for it, just that you have to. And so that's where the U.S. Hemp Authority came in, because we know that as hemp is a phytoremediator, we need to test for heavy metals and for pesticides. Mm -hmm. And as people like to process it with different compounds, we need to test for residual solvents. Yeah. And then you have states throwing in rules. So I think the mycotoxin uh, testing came from a requirement from the state of Colorado um, and then other states started to recognize that need to test mycotoxins and add it to their state regulations. Where are my kind of snowballs from that? Where are mycotoxins coming from? <laughs> uh, mycotoxins are uh, similar to a way a uh, fungus would grow. So if you are drying your, your hemp um, in, a, in a way that isn't drying it and you're leaving it slightly um, moist, it has the ability to grow these types of fungi or these types of microbes. Um, that can then cause some serious damage if, uh, mostly if inhaled. So if you're going to smoke the hemp, um, but can also theoretically be in, uh, finished products that you are. Like consuming. a concentrate, a cart? Yes. Theoretically. Yeah. Okay. Um, most of the time, I think the issues I've seen with mycotoxins mostly deal with inhalable hemp or cannabis. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So Talk to me about this intoxicating piece versus non-intoxicating part of hemp, right? You kind of mentioned sure. that over the 0.3%, but yeah, talk to me about this once it's extracted. <laughs> sure. Once it's extracted, well, you're going to seriously uh, sit there and concentrate everything. Um, mm -hmm. But theoretically, when you have a finished product, um, although it hasn't really been spelled out, most of us look at finished products and we need them to come in under 0.3% of total THC. From the very beginning, the U.S. Hemp Authority wanted to 
really pay attention to the the spirit of the farm bill yeah. um, and not necessarily just the letter of the farm bill. And so we wanted to make sure that because we got um, hemp across as non-intoxicating, right? Uh, we wanted to make sure that when we were looking at finished products and putting our stamp on these products, that they were not intended to be intoxicating products. And so from the very beginning, even before we have entered this world that we are in now with all these different um, analogs and versions and conversions of different cannabinoids, um, that from the beginning, we would not allow people to advertise or market the fact that these products uh, were intoxicating. Um, this ended up being an interesting concept more recently, so back in March, um, when a group of people wanted to get their Delta-8 products certified by the U.S. Hemp Authority, um, but they were being marketed as an intoxicating product uh, and therefore could not qualify under, um, under our regs uh, or under our standards. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we, so in the beginning, I mentioned to trying to avoid the 60 minutes moment. And the concept there is we want to make sure that FDA approves our existence. We are still not legal according to FDA, or at least our, the concentrates are not. Um, and so we want to make sure that FDA finds a way for us to coexist under, let's say, dietary supplements and underneath food and underneath cosmetics. And we don't want to give the FDA a reason not to allow us to exist as an industry. And what we've noticed lately is because of this, we're having these more and more of these uh, products be developed with yeah. intoxicating intention that it actually is causing a, a rift in the hemp industry itself. Mm -hmm. um, so now we're fighting ourselves as opposed to working together to try to get um, logical legislation passed. Yes. Um, and then we're also having to show FDA that this is not hemp. Um, because we still want our hemp industry to exist. Right. Um, and so it's been a very rough road lately, only because chemists are brilliant. They're going to continue to be brilliant. I was at the Southern Hemp Expo show yeah. in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. um, and right before I went on, I was walking the floor and I saw a cardboard sign that says we sell, I think it was HHC here. And I walked onto the stage and I was like, does anyone know what HHC is? Like, I, was like, I, was I have to Google. Like, I didn't know what it was. And I'm like, oh, great. It's another analog. Um, <laughs> and so all of these are going to continue to pop up. Right. I mean, chemists are smart and you can convert almost anything into something else. Mm -hmm. And I think we just need to step back and realize that we need to become federally legal first and uh, ha have our industry exist on a large scale um, because we need to stop fighting each other and, and get this done. And these intoxicating products are kind of not only causing a rift in the hemp industry, but also causing a rift between the adult use industry and the hemp industry, which is causing a whole nother layer of competition that we really don't need at this time. So what is that story or that message that the FDA and USDA need to hear from the industry so that we can move this forward. You know, what is that? And what's the, what are you guys working on to, to get it there? It's really well, so the US Hemp Authority um, is a certification program. It's a standards writing program. And we offer that to um, help support either federal regulation or different states. We're working with different states to figure out if we can deal with this state patchwork that we have now. Yeah. So, 
as I work in the industry, I also know how many labels we have had to throw out because depending on what state we're selling in on which day of the week, the statement about 0.3% THC changes. And I don't want to have to create a label for Louisiana and a separate label for California and a separate label for New York because that's just not commercially. The the management, Take take the label side out, right? But the management of what's shipping where based on label, that's ridiculous. And yeah. it's, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And so, I mean, thank God I'm not supply chain, but <laughs> um, but I am part of quality, right? Yeah. And so we do have to make sure the labels are accurate. And what we're trying to do here is try to get state by state by state instead of having this crazy patchwork. We're trying to see what we can do to have this um, certification be accepted in those states if you're coming in from out of state. So for instance, in the state of New York, if you're in state, you're going to have to apply for their license. They're going to do an audit. But what are they going to do about the people, let's say, from Massachusetts who want to sell in the state of New York? How do they approve them? Um, They don't have the manpower to send people out to audit everyone in Massachusetts who wants to sell in New York. Um, So the idea there would be to work with uh, the different states in order to get them to accept um, an optional certification, sort of like if you want to sell in Whole Foods. You either need to have a USDA organic seal or the non-GMO butterfly seal. And so it would be that kind of concept where they're like, okay, you can sell here if. Mm-hmm. And so we're working with them on that <laughs> currently. Yeah. Okay. Daryl um, Daryl had some good comments or questions. How are certified organic farmers being allowed to forego the market products without testing by states? by stating they are certified organic. The issue is that they are primarily outdoor growers and crop dusting drift is real serious problem in the agriculture fields. So I don't know um, a lot about the, uh, what the farmers need to do in order to be certified organic. Um, I do know that when the products are certified organic, that doesn't stop them from applying to be U.S. Hemp Authority certified. We do not mandate uh, for groups to be certified organic. What we do mandate is that we see C of A's that show that pesticides, if present, are within legal limits of the states um, if those states have pesticides that they allow to be used. Um, So I'm not sure I can answer that question um, fully. So I apologize, Daryl. uh, I yeah, I'd be interested, Daryl. Well, let's bring this up. I've got actually a farming discussion this afternoon um, for anybody that's interested in joining. And this is a great question about this piece um, and the testing side. So you guys require the testing. Tell me what the testing. If somebody's getting a certificate um, from the U.S. Hemp Authority, what does that look like? What is the process that's required, and what does that assure then back to the consumer? Sure. So we have um. Because when we developed the U.S. Hemp Authority certification originally, there were maybe 100 people in the room um, and it's changed quite a bit. But even then, we all really knew each other and we didn't want people to not go through the certification program in fear that they would fail and their friends would know. So we created a separation and we made sure to hire a third party independent auditing group. Um, We use Food Chain ID as our auditors. Um, And what they will do is they will come in and all of our standards are actually available online. You don't have to join to see the standards. Um, But if you go to ushempauthority.org, you can pull down the standards and read them. But what they're going to do is they're going to ask to see certain things. They're going to ask to see your manufacturing procedures. They're going to ask to see ingredient lists. They're going to want to know who you're buying your ingredients from. And they're also going to see that you are testing these products 
um, or these ingredients, and they're going to look at your C of A's. Um, and depending on what your product is and how it's made or the C of A's, they're going to they're going to view because the idea is if, if um, you are saying you are organic, then they need to make sure that what is on your label uh, is truthful. Um, so we want to make sure that um, what you're saying is true, what you're showing consumers is true, and that when you're testing your products you're using or your finished goods or your ingredients or your hemp, um, you're using methods that were developed for that specifically. You don't want to send your hemp to a group um, or to a lab, even if they're ISO accredited, which means they have an international standard for accreditation, um, even if they are. But if they are certified to test water, you don't want to send your hemp there unless you're testing water. Um, so we want to make sure that people are using labs that are using what are called fit for purpose methods. And so you're testing what you think you're testing. You're testing it accurately. And that way, whatever is on your label is being displayed in a truthful manner. What do you think a time frame is to iron out this piece, you know, and the, the process so that there are, what do you call them, true fit or fit? Yeah, fit for purpose. Fit for purpose tests. Yeah, labs um, in this industry. What are you supposed to um, So there are quite a few now. Um, what's helping is this uh, desire to want to standardize testing and have these methods developed. So that really is helping with fit for purpose because you can tell which methods were made to test, let's for instance, gummies versus which methods can be used to test, I don't know, sparkling water with mm -hmm. cannabinoids in it. Um, so that is already existing, which is great. Um, and it's getting people to recognize that there are groups like the US Hemp Authority out there and that these seals are being developed specifically for consumer transparency. Right. It's there so that the brand can say, please trust us. And this is why. Mm -hmm. um, so we aren't out there to say so the U.S. Hemp Authority does not have members. Um, we're not a member organization. You are either certified or you are not. You can't join the U.S. Hemp Authority unless you are volunteering um, either on the board or on our technical committee, because we want to make sure we're having people in the hemp industry writing standards for the hemp industry. Um, and you can also be a part of that because we have public um, comment periods anytime we feel like changing or adding standards. Um, and then we are also, and this is what I see on the internet, just so you guys know, while I have your, your viewers here, because you've got very different, you've got a very different array right. of people here, is we are not pay to play. You cannot pay to join. Uh, we don't have a membership. <laughs> so either you pass the audit and then you pay for your ability to use the seal or you can join any other organization as a member. So we have a organization who was originally seed funded us to exist called the US Hemp Roundtable. Yeah. They originally gave us the money to create this um, association and the certification. And then after that first year, we have not needed or asked for any money since, nor do we demand that US Hemp Roundtable members are be certified nor do you have to be a part of the USM Roundtable to get certified. I actually believe now most of our certification, most of our certified companies are right. not part of the Roundtable. Um, and so I want to make sure that that gets out there because we are two very separate organizations. We um, just needed money for funding to start. And at that point, the Hemp Roundtable agreed with the importance of having a self-regulating organization. So we are separate. <laughs> um, and if you are interested in getting the certification, if you go to the website, um, thank you for putting that in the chat. But yeah. if you go to ushempauthority.org, then you are able to find out how to sign up to get certified. 
And what you'll notice is actually when you click on the link, it's going to bring you to another website. And that website is the website of our auditors. And you go completely through them. I never know who's getting certified until um, I sign off on the uh, final certification audit. So for the licensing agreement. Can you speak a little bit about the, oh, Kayla had a question. I'm going to go back really quick. Sorry, Kayla. Let me see if I can find it on here. Um, she said, greatly appreciate your insight. We are fighting right by your side. If the FDA certifies or classifies cannabinoids as supplements, how does that change the labeling issue state by state? Um, so that's going to be an interesting change. That, so this is when I guess it's going to be a state trumps federal situation. Because according to Colorado, you can have uh, cannabinoids in food, you can have cannabinoids in supplements, you can have cannabinoids in clothes, whatever. Um, in the state of New York, you're allowed to have them in supplements, but I don't think you're allowed to have them in cosmetics. It's something funky like that. Um, mm -hmm. So if FDA only approves, let's say, cannabinoids in supplements, um, I think it's great that they would finally approve something. I think it would be a big miss, especially for our farmers, if it was only approved in supplements. But um, I think it's then going to become a state by state issue of where you're selling and what it's labeled. And I'm not sure how we get around that because you're going to have some states that are defaulting to the, the federal regulations, but you'll also have some other states that allow you to sell your specific products. And so that might get a bit messy for us. And I don't know if there's an easy answer of, of how that would change labeling. Who else in the industry has that information on what states are different? Like, is there, is that something you guys have or U.S. Hemp Roundtable? Um, I think the U.S. Hemp Roundtable keeps a list that um, their members pay for. Mm. Um, I believe there are other organizations. Um, I know Vote Hemp used to keep track of things like the amount of acres being grown. Right. Um, in different it's states. The regulations or the differences in rules, right? Especially as people are. Uh, across the nation. <laughs> and I think this is where it gets a bit confusing because um, for those of you guys out there who are a part of the food industry, there's something called Prop 65 in California where you have to be very transparent about very interesting compounds and whether or not they exist to a point where you have to put a symbol um, if any of these exist and you'll now see this cancer symbol on things like Thin Mints um, from the Girl Scout cookies. And so I refer to the hemp industry right now with this state to state regulation issue as Prop 65 on steroids. Um, and I'm not sure it's necessarily going to get better immediately. Um, I think with the FDA, let's say approving cannabinoids as supplements, hopefully banking will get easier for us. Um, card processor, card processing would hopefully get better for us. Um, but I'm not sure the label issues will be immediately solved just because we do have these state differences that are still going to exist, even with FDA making a decision. Okay. So I think Kayla is trying to clarify. I don't know if you saw this on here. It says not in supplements, if it's classified as a supplement, if the FDA classifies cannabinoids as supplements, how does that change labeling issues state by state as supplements? I don't know if I necessarily see a difference because I know right now we're selling cannabinoid products um, as like tinctures, as dietary supplements. Well, some of us are. I gotcha. um, and so I'm not sure that it would change my answer. Um, 
I do know that what might happen immediately if FDA does classify cannabinoids um, as uh, a supplement is that we then need to follow very specific FDA regulations, such as uh, like new dietary ingredient notifications. Um, and so you'll almost need to have approval before you send them or before you sell them federally. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that clarification helped. So I'm sorry. You could try again, Kayla, and I'm happy to reread re it. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> She, so Kayla and I work really close together and she's serious when I say we're fighting right alongside you and really looking to collaborate. So that's great. Um, what does the future hold then for these state by state, you know, organizations? What does that look like? Well, I'm hoping clarity from the FDA might start to relieve some of that. I know when USDA rolled out their, their final rules, um, it got a little clearer on the farmers of what needed to be done other than we're still fighting some of the needing to use a DEA laboratory and things like that. Um, but when we have these rules, it'll, it might get a little easier on some of us who, let's say, aren't selling food products and supplements and cosmetics and T-shirts or whatever it is we're selling. Um, and hopefully that it, it'll get a little clearer that we can then start following FDA regulations when it comes to manufacturing processes and what we need to test. So right now, testing for the companies is incredibly expensive. Um, in order to sell in different states, I have to meet different pesticide testing regs. So testing is incredibly expensive. So if you're looking at pesticides, it's going to run you upwards of $100,000, $1,000 a lot number just to get your pesticides tested. And uh, in the world of FDA, I'm only responsible for, to test what I know is a risk for my product. So for instance, if I know that the farmers I'm buying from keep these logs and let's say they are organic, um, it get it would cut down on the number of pesticides I would have to test because I would just need to be aware of what's being used around them for, let's say, drift purposes, right? Um, or if I'm using CO2 to extract my cannabinoids, then there really isn't a good reason to spend a ton of money testing residual solvents because I'm not using residual solvents where right now, we're all spending money on all of these different tests just to satisfy state regulation requirements. And it really doesn't follow a logical method of why I should be testing a product or how I should be testing a product. Right. Well, and you just brought up, you know, bringing it back to the drift crops, right. And making sure that the person that's growing is aware of that. And I think that that's a big concern, especially as we're figuring out, you know, how far are these crops or are these, uh, chemicals drifting. <laughs> right. How are they traveling and where are they traveling and are they in the water or in they? Yeah. So I think we do certify farmers. Um, we developed our standard to help farmers because what we didn't want to have happen is farmers grow a crop expecting to sell it into the food industry or into the dietary supplement industry and realize that they can't because there's something in their product that they, there's something in the crop that causes an issue for the manufacturer. And so we do certify farmers. Um, we're trying to work with um, a couple of gap groups in order to create almost uh, an equivalency. Um, and that way it becomes more useful for the farmer um, to have the certification. But until then, um, anyone is welcome to open the standards and check them out because the idea there was to help educate um, and so we don't, we want to keep the, the farmers from being blindsided from mm -hmm. manufacturers or processors uh, on the, on the testing side. 
I would love to share a link through our farming portal in, in the hemp hallway so that people have access to the resources. Um, somebody just asked, uh, and thank you for asking and thanks for joining everybody. Um, are you open to additional third-party auditors for U.S. Hemp Authority? So yeah. right now we do um, strictly work with the uh, with Food Chain ID. Um, they have actually helped us develop the standard and to evolve the standard. And so right now they are only they are um, our only third-party auditors for this certification. Okay. Um, talk to me about future plans then for as the industry is advancing and we're working our guests out on the fiber side. What does that work? What does that look like as far as the testing and rollout of that program? So ever since the uh, start of the U.S. Hemp Authority, our goal was never just to be the certification for extracts. Um, that was never the goal of any of us in this industry. Um, and so we have always wanted to expand it. So we started with food, dietary supplement and cosmetics because there was a real need for standardizing those products. Um, and there was also kind of an existing blueprint as it came to FDA, where we realized there was a serious education gap. And so we wanted to help those people, uh, originally so that we could make sure we had an industry that could grow. We have always wanted to add a seed and a fiber uh, section to our certification. We have to get more interest and we also have to get volunteers because as I said before, no one is paid to work for the Hemp Authority. Um, so we need people on a technical committee who are willing to write standards, um, who know their industry um, and have the foresight to see things like fiber is most likely gonna need a grading system at some point, right? Grade A, B, C, D, just like, just like uh, USDA does with, with meats. Um, but honestly, I don't know about enough about fiber to do that. I yeah. couldn't even start to do that. And we want people who know their section of the industry to write these standards. And to keep it within the industry. What is the benefit? Can you speak to this a little bit about the benefit for industry creating its own standards compared to an ASTM or an, or a standards organization coming in and creating them for the industry? Sure. So um, self-regulating organizations have been around a very, very long time and probably the most well-known is the or organic industry, which used to be divided by different states and groups mm -hmm. and deciding to create the self-regulating organization brought together the idea of what was needed and then USDA took it over at some point. But when you're writing standards for a group, but they're being written by people in that group, you end up with much more logical and useful standards versus let's say a different group just trying to create standards. And so you'll grab other people's standards, right? Maybe you'll grab, we've all heard, and it's not necessarily true that hemp is very much like cotton. So what we don't want to do is grab the cotton industry standards and try to make those fit the hemp industry where you get a much better standard and you get much more buy-in from your own industry. If you're writing standards, that makes sense for that industry and are written by people who are looked at as experts in the industry. So when we first started, we made sure that um, we learned the hard way. So in the beginning, we didn't have enough people on our technical committee. Um, and we took quite a beating at a meeting uh, at Natural Products Expo West um, after our release of what was 1.0. But that was probably the best beating we've ever taken because it extended our technical committee. We added academics. Uh, we added more farmers. We added processors. We added 
retailers. Um, and it really, and then our board expanded to add an ex um, attorney general of Arkansas. We have ex DEA, ex FDA, and we just keep evolving. But because we're evolving as an industry, the more people, the more points of views, and the more expertise we can get really does balance out what these standards look like. So for instance, the reason we need people from, let's say the fiber industry is because when we were just writing these for food and dietary supplements, we had a public comment period where 20, about 2,500 public comments came in regarding GMO um, and not wanting to have GMOs in their finished products of hemp. And so that is what we agree to. That won't work well for the fiber group, right? And right. do we really, are we really concerned about having non-GMO fiber when we're making shirts, <laughs> right? So we really do need a separate set of standards written by experts in that section of the hemp industry. It's been, um, I've been taken back a number of times by the lack of understanding and the difference in those, in these two different industries, right? And down to, you know, understanding that the fiber in the stock of the cannabinoid, you know, high resin plant or uh, type one, type two cannabis is not the same as the fibrous plant that we're growing for a textile or even a herd or construction building material, right? And I think even between those, there's going to be difference in expectations and standards, right? The, the clothing or fashion industry definitely calls for more of an organic uh, fiber than the construction space. It's just a, you know, and what can we do with those products? And so I, I would definitely put a call out. I would love to, you know, bring some of our members together, if, especially if this is something that you're working on um, and active. And so maybe let me know what that looks like. And then we can, you know, shout out to anybody that's listening, but then anybody that, um, you know, is part of the organization that wants to actively get involved because these are topics that come up all the time. So what are the benefits? I definitely understand them, but I'd be interested in your opinion and coming from you. What are the benefits to a member of say GHA to give up though that information? Like you said, you know, when the labs first came together and they gave up their processes that set those standards, um, what is that benefit then to those within this industry? So I know, for instance, um, in the current U.S. Hemp Authority standards for food dietary supplements and cosmetics, we um, when we decided to help people find what methods they should be using and how to test what they were testing, we ended up uh, relying a lot on a different uh, dietary supplement um, organization called APA, the American Products, uh, the American Herbal Products Association. Um, I know that they were willing to support us and in turn, because of that support, ended up with an entirely new group of membership um, as a part of their organization um, because the hemp industry was so grateful for this support. Um, and so I know that is part of it. Also, if you look in our standards, we give credit where credit is due. So we point out that it's the cannabinoid potency method we run is from and we give the AOAC number of where it came from. Um, we have direct links to APA's, um, I think it's their heavy metals and pesticide testing levels that they suggest and their micro levels that they suggest. We also point out things that came from USP. Um, and so we are not in the business of stealing things and not giving credit um, where it is well, due. I, 
I think it goes back to we're setting a standard. If we're doing it right in the industry, this is our way to rise all tides, right? To bring this and to protect that consumer so that we aren't poking a bear and fighting our own industry, right? If we can create a a standard and raise that up. And that doesn't mean that your standard is going to be the standard forever, right? And understanding as things evolve, um, but being actively involved in that conversation helps on on both fronts. You know, knowing where the industry is going if you're not there yet and staying ahead of the game if you are setting that, that precedent. Right, yeah. No, my intention was never to, to be a volunteer for free forever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like I mean, it's as fun as it is. We're, we're fighting for the hemp industry to survive because we love the hemp industry. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if this all of a sudden wanted to be the USDA hemp authority certification, I don't yeah. think any of us would fight that. Um, but the idea here is it has to exist first. We have to have the people behind it want it and request it. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the the most gain we've had in this industry is because someone walked into a retail store and said, Hey, what products do you have? Have let's say the U S hemp authority seal on it. The same way you'd walk some walk in somewhere and say, Hey, which products of yours are USDA organic. Mm-hmm. Right. So it needs to have that same kind of consumer request behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we need to have the volunteers. So um, like, if you look at our technical committee, we don't hide um anything. We try to be as transparent as we make all of our, our certification or our certified products, our companies be. Um, and you can see who's on our technical committee. You can see what company they work for. You can see if they call themselves a grower or a processor or a manufacturer or a brand owner. Right. Um, and we would like that same thing to occur on the fiber and seed side, um, where we know what kind of fiber you're making, what company you're working for, what your goals are, um, and what you're striving to, to do in order to help um, support the hemp industry and your particular section being fiber seed or, or food. Right. Right. Oh, this is exciting. Um, there's when I very first started this, the conversation around the fiber side, especially attached to the textile industry and the opportunity that we have to make a real change without having to fix. I mean, the cotton supply chain and the track and trace or traceability is so broken that we have an opportunity to really change that based on on this certification or a standard. And so I would be interested in, you know, what is included on that on the fiber side for each of these different verticals and I guess contribute to that. How about that? <laughs> As well, it's really going to be a, a, what do you think you need? And do you yeah. have the experts to help us build that? Because I honestly don't know enough about the fiber side to even start to build a standard that would probably be acceptable by any of you. Um, so my goal would be to set up the meeting with Mm-hmm. Our, with our auditors, our food chain ID auditors, where we start building the standard and then have those ideas come from you or your group um, in a group meeting so that we can actually lay out what you would like it to look like and see if we have the buy-in from other um, companies and consumers to make that work. Yes, yes. Well, I would love to to connect. We've got lots of people involved and lots of people that I think would be a great fit. I think it's a matter of collaborating and figuring out what that looks like to the industry. And we know that there's a lot, that's sometimes the most challenging part is getting it started and figuring out what the structure is going to be. So yes, Um, Daryl has another really great question. Daryl, thanks again for joining. Is the U.S. Hemp Authority working with AOSCA on the C side? 
S E. Oh, um, Ayaska, the CP, like the C certification. Is that what you're asking? I think that's what he's asking. Okay. So we have not um, started to work with Ayaska yet because we haven't developed that seed side. Um, it would definitely be something we would be interested to do if we had enough push um, to support the seed side uh, of a U.S. Hemp Authority certification. Um, what we don't want to do is just double up on certifications for no reason. Um, so people are asking why you need the U.S. Hemp Authority certification if you, let's say, you have a GMP certified seal um, on your product. And the difference there is GMPs and what makes hemp risky are two very different things. Um, so if there is something we can contribute that's not covered by IOSCA, then we would be happy to absolutely build standards for that purpose. Um, what we don't want to do is just add another standard that really doesn't stand alone on its own. Agreed. Well, and, you know, outside of the nutraceutical or the food and beverage side, right, there's lead certification and there's got certified within the textile industry. And so, right. you know, those are also broken and there's also some concerns and hemp still brings so much value that isn't outlined within those certifications. And so I'm with you. It's a matter of, is it to recreate an existing or is it to fix what's there? Um, right. and what's the role? And so, yeah, I mean, those are discussions we could definitely have and I'm excited to have. So uh, who else, who in the industry is doing things right? Who, who would you, yeah. I'm curious as to you know, who should we be paying attention to and really, really look for? So um, I kind of, I like to separate things out. Um, I like to look at brand owners separately, then retailers separately, then uh, manufacturers and laboratories. So laboratories, we are always um, pushing people to use ISO, cert ISO, it's 17025, but ISO certified laboratories that are using fit for purpose methods. Um, a lot of that has to do with state regulations, but a lot of that has to do with using people that you know can test what they say they're testing. Mm -hmm. um, if we're looking at uh, manufacturer processors, um, I would like to draw your attention to the certified groups from the U.S. Hemp Authority certification because you know that they've had third-party oversight. Um, what we want to make sure to do is give consumers an easy way to choose the product that is best for them. Um, we require uh, people to put the country of origin for their biomass on their label, not saying that one country is better than the other, but we want to make sure that it is transparent um, and makes sense um, for that consumer. And also because our seal says U.S. Hemp Authority certified, we want to make sure that we aren't falsely giving people the idea that all the hemp may be from the U.S. Um, so you can tell where your hemp is being grown. Um, in addition to that, we have a lot of brand owners. So I know when um, my mom's friends call me to find out who they should buy their hemp or their products from, I send them to our certification site uh, and say, I trust the people on this list. And I know they're being uh, certified. Our certification is yearly. So you won't get to stay on that list if you don't pass it yearly. Um, and so it does add some oversight in a world where there are a lot of players and not all of them um, are out for the common good. <laughs> um, and so it does give you a way to start understanding who is who in the hemp industry, um, what growers you may be interested in, depending on what you're looking for. If you're looking for special genetics, um, it gives you an idea of where to at least start looking for people. 
um, and gives you an idea of those different groups like manufacturers part to be a part of the U.S. Hemp Authority certification and be certified by the U.S. Hemp Authority. You also, your if you're a manufacturer, you need to be GMP certified. Um, so it kind of just starts to narrow down your list of where you may want to go buy from. Um, and other than that, I can't tell you who my favorites are. <laughs> I, I love highlighting people that are doing it right, right? Either good people, good businesses. So you just let me know, you know, <laughs> how about this? I'll put this out there for any of your members or any people that you are involved with. Um, you know, we've created a platform to highlight them and to really get them on. And so same with anybody else that's listening. If you guys have people that you're specifically looking to hear from, um, I'd also like to know. We've got a great team that helps connect this. Um, Tim Childs, hi, it's good to see you. And you've had, got a great question. Any labs testing for types of heavy metal contamination asking for soil and also hemp products? Um, absolutely. So I know we use Eurofins. Uh, my company uses Eurofins to test for heavy metals and contamination. Um, I also know that uh, some very large farming groups um, use uh, Eurofins. They use Proverde. And now, depending if you're in Colorado or not, the, the state of Colorado, uh, if you're making a product in the state of Colorado, demands you use one of their state-approved labs. So that's starting to occur as well. Um, and so you can check the labs that are, are um, approved by the state of Colorado, which I believe at this point are uh, Aurora, um, Botanicor, uh, Eurofins, and I don't know if anyone else has added. Um, but what I would make sure you do before you just send a sample is speak to someone at that lab, ask them if they test pesticides or heavy metals in soils or pesticides in soils, um, and ask them for their list of ISO accredited certifications, but also what they were accredited for. And so not only can you get a list, but you can see that, um, that the lab is ISO accredited, but you can see that it's accredited to test heavy metals. And you can see that it's accredited to test heavy metals in cannabinoids or in soils. Um, so you can ask for that information before you, you guess and just send to any lab that's near you. And on your website, is there a place where people can go? So it's so much about what we don't know, right? I wouldn't know to ask some of those specific questions about being accredited or um, yeah, the specific types. So is that on your website? So the fact that you need to be ISO accredited, uh, use an ISO accredited lab is written in the standards. Um, luckily, our standards have gone from being like 88 pages to more like 20 something pages, and they're divided out by farmer, uh, manufacturer and brand owner. So you can just go to your section and see if you were to get certified what we would require of you. And that's where you'll find that you need an ISO 17025 uh, certified lab, because that might help you start to look. And then the easiest place to start is in your own state. Um, but then if you need more help than that, if you send an email to info at ushempauthority.org, we're happy to help. Um, but what we don't have yet and what we should have, and what I would love to add to our website one day are more, um, ancillary groups that we, we trust. Like if we find out that there are certain banks that will, that will allow us to have accounts. If we find out there's certain card processors that will not kick us off six months in, yeah. um, that would be super Great. I don't know if we have the ability to add that. So maybe that can go on your site. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that, that. That's really where we're building, right? Is this uh, 
vetted portal of uh, it's a toolbox, right? Of businesses and resources that are both ancillary businesses and within the industry. So yes, that's definitely something or potentially even, yeah, we'll talk more about it. I've got, oh yeah, because that's something where I think the US awesome. Authority can can help support the Global Hunt Association. So. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, Tim had a question. Will they discern types of chromium? That's going to depend on the lab and whether or not they have the ability to do so and how much you want to pay uh, in order for them to do so. So I have not had to decipher or discern different types of chromium before. Uh, but I am sure there is a chemist in a lab out there that can do it. I just don't know which one nor how much it will cost. Awesome. 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 Great questions, Tim. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I'm excited about continuing the conversation. Are you traveling to any coming up events or upcoming events here soon? Um, so Post I was just at, yeah, so I was just at Chi. Um, yeah. I have yet to miss Anoko. Uh-huh. Um, and I do normally tend to go to Expo West and Supply Side West, but I am going to Europe next week to visit my brother. So I will be missing that show this year, but I don't think I have totally planned out. I don't think I've even thought about 2022 yet. I just realized <laughs> we were at the end of 2021 now. So, so I really have to start looking there. So I don't think I have any set yet, um, but I do tend to post them on my LinkedIn um, when I do speak places. Cool. Well, I'd love to come watch. We'll have to collaborate or meet up face-to-face. -face. I'm all about the face-to-face -face events now. Now that it's we've kind of built a network, it's fun. No matter where I'm at, I always have somebody around that we can stop and talk to. And now, there's been years. I, I feel like it's been years since I've seen um, a lot of the hemp industry that I'm used to running into. Like I, And I think they've, they've all, I think, at some point walked across um, your, your show here. Uh, okay. So it's like Josh Hendricks and Annie Rouse yeah. and... Um, Joey Beckerman and a whole bunch of others um, who we're yeah. used to seeing and running into at different shows. And it just feels like it's been forever. So, Well, that's the best part is at least we can <laughs> this way and then hopefully reconnect or reunite later on. Anyways, mm -hmm. thank you very much for joining. Holler if you need anything. If anybody else has any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. We do have a meeting later today that you'll find on our hemphallway.com or Global Hemp Association. It's our farmers meeting. And we're going to be speaking about agronomy and hemp farming and agriculture and the impact of the hemp itself on the rotation crops and so forth. So feel free to join. You can register. It's a Zoom link, um, hemphallway.com. And then again, if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to reach out and we'll see you later. Thank you.